two, one, we're live. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Overtime, which is our weekly production where we get to do a deeper dive into the weekend message. Uh, for those of you that maybe this is your first time, I'm Ben. I'm hey, Josh. That's Josh. This is week number 40-something. Oh, maybe something, 50. We're maybe. almost at a year. We're almost at a year at doing this. So, so glad that you're joining us, whether you're watching this or listening to this live, or if you're catching this on demand or after on your favorite podcast place. Thanks for joining us. Really hope that this time encourages you in your growth, uh, your spiritual growth and in, in growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, which I just said the same thing twice. Yeah. But uh, we are, as always, going to jump into a couple things that we have coming up within the life of the church, and then we'll do a deeper dive into our weekend message. So we do want to let you know as we're recording this, this is this is September 8th, yeah. 2020, and we are really excited because this coming Sunday, I want to make sure that I get the date right, it's the 13th. This coming Sunday, we are once again going to be in person, but it's not just our drive-in service. We're also going to be doing an in-person service inside our sanctuary. So that is limited to the first 100 people that RSVP. You can do that for, uh, you can sign up for that on our website, clcfamily.church slash signups. Or if you camp out the night RSVP. before, we'll let you. Or you, if, you, if you were that dedicated to camp out the night before, I don't think that we'll turn, turn you away. But uh <laughs> Yeah, so we would love to have you be a part of that. Um, if you're still not quite comfortable, we are still offering the drive-in option as well. Or if you want to come and you want to sit socially distant in our parking lot, you can do that. So there'll be a spot for you to drive in to watch the service from your car. There'll be a spot where you can sit, you can bring your own lawn chairs, kind of stay socially distant. And for the first time in a while, we're going to be offering an in-person inside service, but we do need you to RSVP for that. And you'll be wearing a mask the whole time, including yes. when you're singing. So many of you don't want to wear a mask. Understand? Yeah. You can hang out outside. There's be yeah. it'll be beautiful weather, hopefully, and yeah, uh, you you can take your mask off. You can sing, do all those things. Just socially right. distant, or you can just still join us online. We'll yeah. feed you baby birds, whatever that looks. Yeah, like. online services will still be continuing, but yeah, if you are in person, we ask that you wear a mask the entire time. That'll be kind of a, a requirement for you to be in inside the building. Yeah. Then the other thing that we have going on this week, which is right after that service, is that this is opening weekend or week of the NFL football schedule. So we are going to be having our first uh, drive-in game where we're encouraging you to, if you want to bring some food, you can tailgate. Bring your grill, bring your bring fire your, pit, bring yeah. your chairs, bring your cooler. We are going to be showing that on our outdoor LED screen, so we're pretty excited for that. Um, just be smart. Don't bring alcohol. Don't do anyway. That's we'll we'll get into all that. Yeah, just behave yourself, please. Behave. That's yeah. all that we want. Which we like, know is really easy for you, Eagles fans. No, not easy. I would I wouldn't say stay easy. off our light poles. Yes, please do that. So <laughs> it's only the first game of the season, so we should be okay. Like okay. towards the end, yeah. maybe we'll we'll have to re consider that. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of the information that we have that we wanted to get out there is our in-person service that's starting this week, as well as our drive-in, as well as our socially distant seated online services. Everything that we've been offering, we're just adding a little bit more to that. And our uh, a game this Sunday, uh, that's a one o'clock start yeah. time. So, so we'll be ready. Come by have then. some lunch, hang out, yeah. just socially distant, but you'll get to watch on the big HD screen outdoor. Yeah. be a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. So with that, let's kind of turn our attention, I guess, to the weekend message. And do you want to give us kind of a recap of what we've been talking about? We're in Luke. This is Luke week seven? Eight. This week eight. eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been in the Gospel of Luke. And so you want to kind of catch us up to speed? Yeah. So we're in Luke chapter two. Uh, took us six weeks to get through Luke chapter one. Uh, and then uh, Luke chapter two last week, we saw Mary and Joseph kind of... Uh, 
meander quite a journey down into Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born. You know the play. You know most of the story, right? Mm. So we saw kind of a glimpse of Jesus being born last week. He was born in a manger, you know, no guest rooms available in the house. So kind of like a, you know, like a, a barn for animals that Jesus is born there. And so it kind of ended last week in that. And you would yeah. think that um, Luke, this writer, would want to kind of like really focus in and make this very climatic this week of <laughs> Jesus is born, King of King, Lord of Lords, all those fancy words that the prophecies declared that he was, you know. Prince of Peace, Mighty God, you know, uh, Mighty Counselor. And you would think that he would like be, yeah. you know, really focused on those things. He doesn't do that. Um, in fact, he kind of uh, pans the scene to some other people, the shepherds. Really interesting shepherds, just for considered less than human, right? Uh, you can, if you list the sermon, you'd be aware of that. It's not a, a, a job you dream about, right? You didn't go, when I grew up, I want to be a shepherd. No, you didn't. You kind of came into effect. You ended up there and probably pretty sad that you're there. I mean, these are basically homeless guys who lived out in the field with sheep that they probably didn't even own, but they were responsible for, right? Sheep. They, they watch sheep all their life, right? It's just all sorts of terrible, you know, livelihood, poor, lonely, outcast, all those things. And so it's so weird that Luke, this brilliant guy who has done all the research and all the studying that he possibly could on on who Jesus is, decides to tell us a story that we can be certain of Jesus and who he is, and decides once Jesus is born that he would... You know, change the channel and <laughs> go to, you know, Animal Planet with sheep and shepherds. And so this angel shows up and starts talking to these sheep and shepherd and, you know, uh, they're, they're nervous. And he makes a really, really crazy proclamation. He says this, um, fear not, but behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so we got to go, he's bringing good news. Why does he bring it to the shepherds? They couldn't even share it with anyone. No one would believe him. So... What we can deduce is because this news mattered to them. Mm. And so we kind of go, we really spend some time trying to figure out, okay, what does this good news mean? What does it say? And we, lots to work through there. The, the angel tell them the good news is that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Really, really good news there. And that it's of great joy and it's for all people. And so we spend a good bit of time trying to go, okay, what is this good news? And why does it matter to the shepherds? And therefore, why does it matter to us? And yeah. kind of the, the big idea of this week was, well, uh, when you get this story, which you realize it's really not about you or up to you, right? Yeah. And so at first glance, in our arrogance, we don't like that because we like it to be about us. And we like it to be up to us. But if we were to pause and think about it long enough, you know that this world's really not about you. Mm. And it's definitely not up to you, right? That's where all this anxiety we have is we can't even determine how long our kids go to school. And then, like... At a school system right now, right? You, you can't yeah. even control that, right? You can't control whether or not you're going to have a job in a month for the most part, right? You can't control if you can even go up a certain aisle at a grocery store without getting in trouble, right? There's just very few things that you're in control of because control is an illusion. And so when we really look at that, this should actually bring us good news of great joy. And it's for all people that it's not up to us because it is up to Jesus. So we kind of looked at the different kind of worldviews that we have tricked ourselves to believe in. It's about us or up to us, right? And so kind of big understanding is religion, which is every other worldview outside of Christianity, I think. Any way by which you view this world, have purpose in this world, whatever you define it to be. Religion is man's attempt, uh, wrong attempt, by the way, man's attempt to either get to God or become their own God. And uh, Christianity, only worldview that's uniquely different. It's God's perfect attempt to get back to man. And so we just kind of charted our way through understanding other worldviews. Then also looked at what makes Christianity, Christianity so um 
distinguishable, different, unique, and makes it good news, great joy for all people, mm-hmm. and the response these shepherds have, and Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents have, as a result of finally getting that this good news that's right there in front of them, and it's pretty significant. Yeah. So, uh, And it's that Jesus stepped on this planet, God with us, suffered on our behalf, died, and then proved he's God to come back to life, which is unlike any other worldview there is. So if you haven't listened, you should go listen. Yeah. Particularly if you don't believe in this worldview, right? Like if you don't mm-hmm. believe that there's a God or that a God could love you and that a God could welcome you back, well, that's what makes Jesus so important in the story. And so these angels, uh, this angel shows up as shepherds. They get to receive that, process it, and respond accordingly. Yeah. And I do want to spend some time kind of, I think it was six. Yeah, I think there were six different worldviews that you did talk about. I think that we'll probably repeat some of that. But, and I think you already answered this, but as we do kind of, you know, change channel, like why yeah. why is it that, that Luke kind of moves so fast? There's like two verses that talk about Jesus yeah. and then he's like off of it. Why, why doesn't he park on it and spend some more time explaining that he is the King of yeah. Kings and the Lord of Lords and all of this prophecy fulfilled? Yeah. Like it's just, at least at this point in Luke, just glances over it. Yeah, so it's really important here, as I just told you, Christianity or this worldview in all life is not about us, yeah. but it is for us, right? Yeah. It's not about us, but it's for us. And so it's about Jesus, hero, savior, Lord, but it is for us, meaning we're the recipient of this great news. And so yeah. it's not about us. It's not up to us, but sure, it sure is for us. So it just makes sense if that's the case. He would um, turn the channel, move the camera to a place where he's highlighting someone that is definitely not about them. Yeah. All of society would have declared they were worthless. And it wasn't up to them. All of society would have declared them as in, incompetent and incapable. Yeah. But all of so all of society would have said, don't even focus on them. Don't care about them. Nothing. Theophilus even reading this, he would have had some opinions probably about shepherds. Mm. He wouldn't have liked them. He just wouldn't have. And so as we look at this 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 passage that's written, or, or this you know book of Luke, Luke hired by this rich, what we think is a Roman official, to kind of investigate whether or not he could say Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is right. Lord. Right. And so Luke goes and puts it all together. But when we read this for the first time, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, right? Um, Theophilus would have been reading this for the first time and going, what? Like, yeah. tell us, do you want me to pay attention to this guy? And all of a sudden you, you, you pan the scene. Yeah. And so this would have been... Um, revolutionary yeah. uh, because that belief system similar to a lot of belief systems today is that you earn your value you earn your way if it's to be it's up to us right mm-hmm. and so Theophilus would have lived in that world that either it was up to him or someone that he had access to and we believe this right that's why we are so drawn to famous people and you like to tell the stories of the times you met the famous people or knew the famous people it's like somehow we believe in this weird connection piece of that and mm-hmm. so Theophilus would have operated that so when Luke is writing this, I can surmise, guess, that he's probably trying to clearly get Theophilus' worldview to be shooken a little bit, yeah. or shaken a little bit. That, hey, here's Jesus. Okay, tell me about Jesus. No, wait, I don't care about shepherds. Tell me about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's going to highlight that this good news is for all people. And yeah. so, if you want to show um, uh, something is true, a lot of the things that you would go to is the, the most extreme example. Right. Yeah, right. And so okay. this would be the most extreme example. Yeah. This is good news, a great joy for all people. Now he's going to show that it's actually good news, that it is filled with great joy, because you're going to see the shepherds respond to that, and it's for all people, meaning these guys as well. So at first glance, you go, that's strange. You'd think you'd talk about Jesus. But then when yeah. you dive into it a little deeper, you go, well, it makes sense, because 
all of us have been outcast at some point in our life. Yeah. All of us have been marginalized. All of us have been prejudged at some point in our life, many of us more than others. And so all of us have had that experience, and all of us, it, maybe you don't like to admit it, but let me, let me peer into your mind, Harlan, but there are times you feel inadequate, you mm-hmm. feel hopeless, and you feel like you don't see the way out, mm-hmm. right? And you feel like God is really distant. Yeah. And you feel like if you could do just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven new things, and you've read the books to tell you to, that somehow God would be closer, as if there's something in you that determines all that, yeah. like the shepherds. And so he's going to take this absurd example of these broken men and show why the news matters to them. Yeah. Therefore, it matters to Theophilus, and it would matter to us. Yeah. So I think that's why he probably... I feel like that's channel. just such a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? Yeah. It's not about... The gospel is not about us, but it is for us. Yeah. And in this, Jesus, who had the rights, like he came from angels declaring holy, holy, holy into this manger where, you know, sheep are what is that bleeding what do they do whatever sound they make they're making their noise like he went from you know the highest of high to the lowest of low and in that though he had the right to be you know labeled the king of kings the the prince of princes right right like all of this he identifies for the lowest of low. And I think that that's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Yeah, so, you know, we use that word privilege. Yeah. And I have all sorts of opinions on it. But, I mean, at its core, privilege is typically focused on someone having something and not being aware that they have it, Mm. like a privilege, right? So, regardless of your race, I think you do have to understand that this guy who Luke is writing to is privileged. Yeah, I mean, like right. his, his worldview and his experience is very different than these shepherds. Right? Yeah. I mean, like he he's not hungry. He has lots of access. Right. He could do all sorts of things in those moments. And so when Luke is writing this, he's writing to someone who's probably really unaware and could, could probably consider that he's probably more valuable than other people, right? And right. so, yes, of course, God would want him to know him because, you know, he's, he's Theophilus, a Roman government leader not the shepherds. And so this is pretty interesting that this is, this is worldview shattering, you know, in this moment. And he goes, okay, if this is the case, if this, if this is what Luke timeless or timely wrote to Theophilus and timeless for us, Mm -hmm. there's some things we probably have to look at this and experience it from those eyes and go, why in the world does God want us to know this experience from the shepherds, not from the Kings? Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. Uh, so as we work through this, it was verses 7 through 21 that we, we talked through on Sunday um, or Saturday if you joined us online. Um, you really parked on verse 10. It says, And then the angel said to them, Fear not, uh, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And this is really where we spent the bulk of our time. <laughs> yeah, like so, that, I was even telling the folks who run the, 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 you know, the, the audio video stuff, I'm like, hey, we're going to be here for 30 plus minutes. So yeah, just right. get comfortable because we're staying on this verse for a while. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah. uh, I guess there's a lot that we can pull in, pull out, and we will be kind of looking yeah. at the different worldviews. Um, but what, so this, there's a significant verse there. So why, why spend the majority of your time there? Like any thoughts like behind the scenes of, hey, help us understand why you parked on that one so yeah, long? Or a couple things. Uh, if you go back to Holidays, H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E, yeah. uh, one of the sermon series from a while back, a couple of Christmases ago, yeah. we, we, we came to this passage, yeah. taught it in uh, Montana in the middle of a, a worldview religion series, and typically have kind of clung to is verse 11, which is, for unto you this day in the city of David yeah. as a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's the only time you find all three of those things. Right. And so right. felt like I spent a lot of time in there going, let's talk about those three, but... So as I was reworking through this going, well, I, 
I don't want to get pigeonholed and thinking that's what all Luke would want us to pay attention to. So I felt like I just was drawn to other parts of the passage because it just felt like I'd covered that in okay. the past. Not that everybody's okay. heard it, covered it. And so there's that piece. And then as you look at the very first statement, like you go, okay, well, imagine these shepherds for the first time. And yeah. Maybe they'd be excited about the second piece and there's stuff to do it. But what would it have been like to just hear that for the very first time? And you just see it and you go, wow. And like, I would have spent more time here if I could. That even the fear not, it's so significant because so much of what drives us is fear. Yeah. Like, there's even uh, Gary Smalley did some really good work of this and uh, the DNA of relationships for couples. He talks, and I've talked about this before, just even in terms of. Uh, interpersonal skills. So much of what happens, particularly when you fight, is that you have a button pressed. Like I share it all the time. Like one of my buttons is being afraid of being abandoned. That's a fear. So when you say something to me and then, you know, withdraw, it presses that button me. And so what I want to do is I want to fix that. So I go and confront. Well, some people's like Julie, my wife's, one of her fears is being controlled, right? So when I confront, she feels controlled. So what does she do? She withdraws even more. And now I feel even more abandoned. So I confront even more. And what you get is this crazy dance that happens. But at the the base of it is this human fear, yeah. right? So much, guys, and so much of what we see in our world right now, we cannot miss this, is fear-driven, not, not just data-driven. And some of you want to argue with me on the data, and I'm going, well, the problem is, is the data is not what's driving this. It's literally fear that's driving this. Fear about COVID. Uh, fear about what your experience would be depending on the color of your skin. Like, there's just so much, and it's, I don't want to minimize your fears because they're really right. real and so much of how we respond politically and you know uh, in terms of even our own world and our plans and our budgets so much of it is and even our school system right now it's, it's all driven by the the fear of not knowing the future not knowing those things and so it's so interesting that these angels i mean these shepherds literally like lived out in the fields by night like they're just a different world they probably didn't have a lot of fear they didn't really even care that much but you know like yeah so for him to show up and that first thing that they feel is fear it's like we should probably pay attention to that because he's literally saying to us don't be driven by your fear yeah hey shepherd you're going to miss the most important part of the story if you let fear drive you right and so he literally is saying to them fear not meaning that's where it starts is going okay 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 don't process this about your anxiety or your lack of control. And so he's literally calling into what drives so much of us in our worldview. So he says, fear not. So there's something in there I think is really important to go, huh, he's literally telling these shepherds, you're about to get the greatest message ever. Hmm. But you're not going to be able to receive it or translate it or interpret it or understand it or apply it if you can't see it from the hmm. right angle. And so his first words are fear not. And then you see he tells you why not to fear for Behold, in other words, hey, don't fear, don't, don't, listen, listen, for behold, listen, listen, like, that means step, stop, take a deep breath, pause, all those things, fear not, for behold, and then you may see the other part, it says, I bring, means there's something for you, you, and that's where I think we spent a good bit of time this past week, or kind of starting this, going, you got to see this, like, the God of the universe is speaking directly to shepherds. He's not fixing their problems. Yeah. He didn't build them a house and go, here, you have a place to sleep now. He didn't right. build another temple and go, now you can go to church. He didn't send a pastor out there and go, now you have a, a priest, right? Yeah. None of those things. He literally says, fear not, because he is bringing them. That means it's personal. And so where it makes sense that even as we see this again is, please, please don't see this through the shepherd's eyes. 
see it as one who's like the shepherd, mm-hmm. who God is saying in this moment, hey, you're going to miss this if you don't pay attention to it and pay attention to what the good news is because you're controlled or paralyzed by fear. Mm-hmm. For listen, I behold, I bring you good news. And so there's just something really important to go. There's a lot in just those first few words because it's just our experience. We have lots of fear. Yeah. We don't think there's very much good news. And all of a sudden he says, if you listen carefully and you listen right now, you're about to get some really good news. Yeah. And I am suspicious that I don't know that we show up at church expecting that anymore. Hmm. I don't know. There's lots of reasons to show up at church. Maybe it's routine. Maybe it's because you think God's mad at you and he'll like you. But the idea that you can show up and a messenger, God's word, can bring you that good news is hmm. probably worth pausing and considering. And hmm. if you didn't get a chance because of the pace by which we move this weekend, maybe it's even right now to pause and actually consider. Like, it's, hmm. do you believe this news is actually for you? Hmm. And if so, do you believe it's actually good? So first question that you got to figure out is, am I responding and reacting to fear? Well, if so, let's pause for a second. Can I listen, you know, not be distracted? Do I believe this news is actually for me? And then do I believe it's good? So it's kind of like a computer program. If, you know, if you don't, if you can't operate outside of fear, then let's just, you live there for a second until you can overcome that and go, maybe God's good. And then after that, can you be in a spot right now that you can listen? If not, why don't you stay there for a while, right? And then can you believe this is for you? And then, you know, do you believe it's actually good news? And that's, I think, where we just have to hang out for a while. It's going, no, you don't. In fact, uh, so much of how, you know, Jesus says, beautiful are the feet that bring the good news, right? And so many of us don't share this news. And I would argue this is the reason that we're pretty terrible at being evangelists, right? Mm-hmm. One is because we don't really want to change our lifestyle, so it gets a little weird and hypocritical to go tell our neighbor about Jesus when our life doesn't reflect that. That's for a different talk. And that, please don't feel ashamed of that. That's not the goal here. But the other reason that we really don't share it is we don't really think it's good news, mm-hmm. right? We share all sorts of articles we think are funny, memes that are funny, because you're like, that's funny, I'm going to share yeah. that. Like, It's not hard for you to do that. Many of you have sent a text to a buddy today of some picture or something because you think it's good news, it's funny. But the reason I don't think we actually share this news much is actually because mm. we're not so certain it's really that good. Yeah. So we got to come to the conclusion, hey, like the shepherds, do you think it's possible that there could be some really good news for you today? Yeah. And that's why it makes sense you just kind of slowly, methodically walk through that verse. Yeah, I feel like it's beautiful to see the response playing the tape forward, these verses. Yeah. To see the response of the shepherds. Yeah. Because here they are as, as the outcast, yeah. you know, despised. And it's almost like they forget all about that mm-hmm. because it goes from one angel to a, a uh, a multitude of heavenly hosts, um, which that in and of itself would again in probably invoke fear because every time an angel shows up, there's always usually this response, fear not. But then immediately after that, they say, let's go to Bethlehem. And with haste, they found yeah. Mary and Joseph. And then they share that and with this everyone. Haste, yeah. Not with paste. Just want to point that out. <laughs> so these aren't like, oh, we got to finish the Jesus play and the nativity scene and we need a big shiny star. Who's got the paste? It says haste. <laughs> I I don't get that, but okay. Um, Yeah, but I think it's just a beautiful response the way that the shepherds, um, they're attentive to that. Like, they go for it. Like, they're finding them. Um, And then the people, I love 18, it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Like, uh, we did, you know, two years ago, was holidays, was the the Christmas series this past year, I think, was Wonder. uh, Wonder. And just even that phrase wonder you see it several times in the book of luke Luke specifically and it's just it's an amazing amazing thing when you start to wonder what god has done the story that is being played out this 
huge arrival of what Christ is it has done and is doing. I think yeah. it's a beautiful. Thing. Yeah, it is neat. They picked that wonder because all of you wish you could do that more. Yeah, right. right? I just need to think. Right. Like, I, you know, like you have like these questions and you're trying to make decisions about your kids and school and your job and you all know that like you're just reacting, responding, yeah. you're just being nice for a second to just go, do I believe this? Like, what do I, what do I wonder about this? And so that's what I kind of yeah. hope happens here is we don't just expedite ourselves through this and we go, I wonder if this is actually true. Yeah. And if it is, what does it mean for us, right? Yeah. And so I think that's why it makes sense to go, okay, let's stop and think about it. Yeah. But if we're going to stop and think about it, let's think about it all. Let's think about all the different ways by which we translate our world and purpose. And that's where yeah. the piece on going, if this is good news of yeah. great joy and it's for all people, what's the news we're already believing? That's mm. not good news and it doesn't fill us in great joy. Well, let's figure out where that comes from and then let's see how different this news is compared to all the way we filter all other news, yeah. which is where our worldviews come from. Yeah, so I did want to kind of yeah. dive into that. There were six different worldviews that you talked about yeah. uh, and you didn't put... Christianity in that as a worldview, and, and maybe you can even yeah. explain. Yeah, that. I would uh, argue that it is a worldview, um, but the first six are just religions. Yeah, so religions. I hate okay. that. I, I just hate being called a religious person and yeah. as a pastor. Just comes because um, maybe the connotations, you know. And I struggle because when you look at James, it says true religion is caring for orphans and widows. And I was like, oh, there is something about religion and being religious in the scriptures that you can kind of work through. But I think uh, the connotations and the danger for how we view it makes it complicated because we view religion as somehow we how our behavior responds, right? Something that we do, and that's why I just kind of blankly say, here's what religion is. It's man's attempt to get to God yeah. or, this, or become your own God, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we look at these six worldviews or these six religions and, you know, big, broad, massively broad strokes, right, right? right? There's lots of different, you know, gods and worldviews that fall within them, but they typically fall in kind of six categories. And, you know, I didn't use agnosticism because it's one of those that kind of shrugs its shoulders and does the hokey pokey and can kind of be in any of these other ones. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm an atheist. Oh, no, maybe I'm a deist, you know. And so uh, just by definition, agnostic just is unknown, but typically they're going to be in and out of these other six games. So one of them, and most atheists don't don't like being put in this category, and I, I get that and understand, but I think it... It's fair and reasonable, and you, you pride yourself on intellect, typically, in that worldview. So it makes sense that we just kind of consider for what it is. And so I just mean religion, worldview. And so the first one was atheism. atheism literally, just yeah. means theism, God. A means not God. So atheism is, there's not a God, yeah. right? Um, which, candidly, probably of all these, is the one that seems like it's the most bleak, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, not, I mean, I, I have friends who don't believe in God, and some of them are you know, ardent critics of Christianity and every other religion. And others are just, they don't have the energy or time to even process it. So they just have taken some counterexamples to God's goodness, evil, you know, injustice, death, and go, yep, see, there's just no God. Because, or if there's a God, I'm not interested in him at all because of those things. But so an atheistic worldview just literally is one that just claims that there is not a right. deity, right? right? There's just no God. And um, you know, what happens when you get into that worldview is that, well, if there is no God, then what do you do with life? Right. Right. And many would say, well, it's just not worth the energy and time to try to think about the afterlife. And I would argue, and I think it's fair on this, is that many Christians have spent too much time just talking about heaven and not their role here on earth. Mm. So it's going, many of us have made the excuse that one day all this get fixed. So today I'll just sit back and, you know, yeah. you know, lean back and go, and whatever. And an atheist is going, you're literally 
breathing right now and your heart's beating yeah. and you're just lazy. Right. Right. You know, right. like you don't even live out the stuff that you believe because you're all just waiting to get on vacation yeah. once you die, <laughs> right? Like I used to, I can remember um, one of the Christian t-shirts right after I got like really into my faith in seventh grade. It was during the True Love Waits thing. So I'm like, I'm going to be this strong Christian. I kept a Bible in my back pocket and I got these, like the Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, and it says yeah. Jesus, you know, the <laughs> King of Kings. But it looked like the Reese's. And one of them, I wore it to school actually. It says Christianity. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the, something like this. The way, the, the payment on earth isn't very good, but the retirement plan is out of this world or something like that. Like, you know, the, like the, uh, the salary is not very good, but the retirement plan is out of this world. And it's like, really? That's what we've kind of gathered, you know? And so I even like, that just kind of says, well, it, life's just as terrible. And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah, There's things right. that, so an atheist, rightfully so, is probably irritated by that. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is you typically can see this wherever you turn when things get hard, when you're pressed is an atheist i mean you might be able to lean on some other humanist out there or yourself but essentially what happens in all these other worldviews is eventually you have to come to the conclusion that if it's to be it's got to be up to me right mm -hmm. like it's just it's just what has to happen because there is no one else to lean into or trust yeah, fully right. maybe a human being but as an atheist or as just a human we would come to the conclusion that you can't really count on people right there's this, this bitterness that comes because not you know can't count on your politicians right now yeah. Or at least those politicians who are elected, and therefore because they're elected and you wouldn't have elected them, you can't count on the people who elected them, which yeah. are the people with those signs in their front yard that are different than your signs. And so, therefore, those people you definitely can't count on. So there's just this bitterness that comes in. But ultimately, with all these worldviews, kind of the problem is if there is no God or God is incompetent, then the pressure comes back to ourselves. So we're going to see this with all these worldviews. It just leads to three places. First one's pride. I'm really good at it. Like, I'm smarter yeah. than you. I know more. I've done more research. I understand molecular biology better than you do. All those things, right? Then there's that. And then there comes a, a moment where you can't fix whatever the problem is, right? Yeah. It gets beyond your control. And so in all these worldviews, you have to do something with that. If it's beyond my capability and I can't fix it, and it's not getting fixed right now, and there's nothing I can do, then essentially you go from that place of pride to a place of just despair. Hmm. Like just, yeah. just see it all the time. Just see it in so many different ways. And But we can't live in despair because it's exhausting. And so people take their life. That's why I shared outdoor, not indoor, because I filmed it on Friday, read the article on Saturday. Uh, people in their 20s, like from 25 to 29 or something yeah, this like that. this was an interesting uh, stat. 25% of those people have been served, that, you know, huge population sample. So, but indicated that in the last three months in the middle of the stuff, they have seriously considered taking their life. Not like, eh, maybe I will. Like, thought about the ways and how it would right. happen. And so, that's just despair. So, either you live there and then your life, you just ruin it. Someone else does whatever it is. Or you have to go to a place where you have to protect your heart in that, which just leads to indifference. Yeah. So, when you look at the chaos of our world, you see a lot of despair and even more indifference. That's where we see people not like us as less than human, right? We, yeah. we dehumanize them and see them as pawns to the people we hate, right? And so, when you see all these worldviews, atheism kind of, I'd say, really rises up in that is that it leads to a place of pride and de uh, despair and then indifference. But you're not trying to get to God. Mm. The reality is, if there is no God, you don't care about his kingdom. So whose kingdom can you care about? Right. Well, the only kingdom I can care about then is my own, which means right. I've just become my own God. I become the, the leader of morality. I determine mm. what's right and wrong. And so I live in this very judgmental, 
anger-filled place because I can't kill anyone else, and I just got to protect my little kingdom that I am the king of and the lord of. And that's where it goes. Either Religion is either man's attempt to get back to God or become their own God. And that's where I think yeah. the next one there, deism, kind of falls yeah. in the same thing because it's basically... It's basically, um, it it answers the question of uh, creation with a blank that atheists have. Well, we don't know. There's energy in their matter. And it all showed up one day, but we don't know where it came from. And a deist is going, well, it showed up from this God who's a bigger being than us. But after that, he's just done. Like, right, right. literally, it's the... It's the, the dad who never plays the role, right? He right. helps conceive the child and then walks away. And so Nadeus basically is an atheist other than they've come, they've tried to figure out how to answer the question of how the world got here with yeah. an intelligent designer. You, you yeah. use the example of like an old school clock, like a, yeah. a clockmaker that winds the clock and just sets that's it. it that's and... typically how that one's described in the <laughs> clockmaker guide. Yeah. Um, Another way I've seen it described, I wouldn't recommend watching the movie. It's horrific. But Devil's Advocate and Al Pacino is this person. He's called an absentee landlord. Okay. Right? And so in that, like he's like the landlord who owns it all. Okay. Let you live in it. But it doesn't matter if your wall, your paint has lead in it or not. He's just not going to do anything with it. And so most people in the theistic worldview, that's kind of their approach. I mean, even many, not all, some of the founding fathers of our nation were deistic, meaning we believe there's a God, but we don't believe that Mm -hmm. he's involved in our nation at this point. It's up to us, right? And so, again, it leads to a place of pride if you're really good at it, when you're really in control and you're really idealistic, or eventually you run to this place that you are exhausted by all you have to do in place of despair. And eventually... The only real solution for a long-term life is just indifference to it all. So, uh, so that was two two of them: atheism, deism, uh, monoism. Monism, yeah, yeah. Monism. So I think it's M O N I S M. So yeah, so that word I think it typically mean, means just one, right? Yeah. So that doesn't mean one god. That would be theism, but uh, you know, a god, and then you got you know monotheism, and then you also have polytheism. We'll get to that one, but monism is just that God is in everything. So yeah. kind of plays out two different ways. Pantheism versus panantheism. You just add an E in it. Uh, pantheism, you know, man, these are big, broad strokes. And so yeah, you right. Be better this, this is a 10,000-foot overview. Yeah, so basically it's someone that just says that God is everything. Yeah. God is everything, right? And it's so funny. Um, I was sharing this. <laughs> I was Sunday. hoping you would share this. Share about the June bug? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a June bug. Or what whatever yeah. the heck those are so, called. Um, <laughs> so I was sharing this, and I was talking about the problem with this is that means everything's God, which means that spotted lanternfly <laughs> is a God, right? And at that moment, I didn't know it at the time, Julie, my wife, was sitting kind of up front. And she was lifting her foot because a spotter lanternfly just landed, and she just smashed it like literally at the very sorry about that. Uh, literally at the very second that I sat in, it's like, oh my gosh, my wife just killed God. You know, yeah, I didn't right. say anything, didn't anything. I didn't even notice it then. Find out about it later, but it's that kind of thing, and that's yeah, right. complicated because that means yeah. God is a snake, right? right? That means God is everything you see is God, which gets complicated because everything is God. So what do you worship? Yeah. And then you deal with the problems of like, well, if God is cancer, yeah, God is evil. God is a child molester. Right. God is poverty. So you do that. And so kind of the, the, the response is, okay, not everything's God. God is just in everything. Well, so God is in war. Yeah. Like God is in murder. God is in the bullets that shoot people, right? God is in the vitriol that comes out of people's mouths. God is in the verbal and physical abuse that children are doing. No, no. As a Christian, you go, well, God 
doesn't waste anything. He can bend and shaping yeah. it, and he's always at work. But that doesn't mean it's him. Doesn't mean he's right. doing right. it. It may mean that he's allowing something. But the problem, what happens when you view God through this lens that either God is everything or God is in everything, there's just no place for justice, right? Yeah. So guess what? If God isn't going to be just to the child molester, yeah. if God is going to allow that to happen to your child, then you can't really count on your, that you're God. He's yeah. not just. He's not even good. If he's not good, then how do you have morality and good in this world? Well, guess who it's up to? It's up to us. Yeah, right. It's up to us to implement justice. You can see it all over our world right now based on different people's worldviews of what they think God really cares about, but he's incapable of taking care of. They're in the middle of that, right? So uh, justice is up to us. Morality is up to us. And so it sounds really woke and cool to go, God's just in everything. But really, what you're saying is God's a Dallas a Dallas Cowboy, right? <laughs> I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, it sounds silly, but it's just like, it just, yeah. it, it's so complicated and fluid that you can't, you can't really grasp a God, understand God, know God, or count on God in any way. Yeah. So it's just, again, leads to a place of pride. You're really good at the justice, really good at it. You're really good at doing that. Or despair, man, you're not that good. God's not going to do anything about that. And then eventually indifference. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, if God's not going to do anything, I can work up so hard and do so much. But eventually, the only thing I really can control is my little world. Yeah. So I'm not going to try to get back to that God. I'll just become my own one. So. Yeah. And then that leads to the next one. Yeah, which the last is, one I think that we haven't touched on yes, theism. theism. And, you know, uh, America, this would be a pretty hefty view for us. Even the big three that you think about usually are put in these categories in terms of monotheistically, right? So that would be Judaism. Yeah, uh, you know, like first cousin to Christianity, and yeah, I guess great aunt or whatever Christianity. Um, you got Islam, you yeah. know, and then many people would put Christianity in this one. But that's just that's just monotheism. That's just belief that there's just a God, right? By the way, yeah. So you got that one, and then then you got like polytheism, many gods, and so that would be Greek mythology, Hinduism, uh, Baha'i, or whatever. You know, actually, I think that's a game you play. I don't even know, right? <laughs> Um, so all these different ones are kind of, again, in this category where you have this God and he created things. He's the source of these things, but he's not very happy with us. Right. And even in Judaism, you, I mean, you see this God who's very frustrated right. at the sin that humans continue to bring into this world. Right. And you see it in the very beginning of the garden. God literally kicks the people out of the house. And that's how we have to mm. see it. Like he literally amputates us. He goes, you're my arm. I don't want you anymore. And cuts it off and goes, go over there. Like literally disconnected from life, disconnected from his spirit. Like that's a pretty significant thing. So it'd be pretty easy to go, yep, God's pretty upset. Yes, he is. He's upset. And so then you have to come to the conclusion, well, how do you make him not upset? Like, do you buy him presents? Do you send him a card? Do you write him a thank you letter? Like, do you talk about him out loud? Right? Do you give him a shout out when you win the prize? Like all these different things. If that's what you have to do to peace God, and that's just if there's one God. Now imagine if you have lots of God. Yeah. You got the God of fertility. Well, I'm not having a baby because that God's unhappy. So what do we do there? Do we eat more corn? I don't know. You know, like you got all those things. And so in monotheism and polytheism, what you end up having is just a lot of really strange rules. Like mm. I joke a lot of time. You wear a hat. Nope. I mean, Jews wear a hat to remind them that there's a God above them. Yeah. But you wear a hat in some churches, and you're kicked out because how dare you dishonor yeah. God in that? Right? Right? Many countries or many uh, Christ, uh, 
religious worldviews, like nationalism is kind of involved in it. Well, you better be a good patriot or God's mad at you. I'm different when you go, if you're a good patriot, God's mad at you. You know, like this, there's just all these rules. Do you wear a one-piece versus a two-piece? Culottes, you know, there's just so many things. What food can I eat? Can I have shellfish? How about pork, right? How much can I eat? But I hear that if you eat too much, that's obesity and gluttony, and that's disappointing to God. Can I drink? How much can I drink? Like, okay, is it it 0.08? Is it 0.16? Is it 0.02? Like, all these different things and what you see in our world is this really confusing thing where there's just lots and lots of rules. Yeah. So guess what happens with the rules, right? Leads to one of three places. Pride, boy, am I good at following the rules, right? You know some Christians that way that would even put themselves in this category. Protestants that put themselves in this category. Catholics who put themselves in this category. Mm-hmm. They're really good at saying their prayers, going to Sabbath, or going to Mass, practicing Sabbath, tucking their shirt in, you know, saying the God bless you stuff on Facebook, whatever those things are, they share those emails, those prayer chains. They share because they're proud of those things, you know, like they share these things, like, and somehow that's how they earn God's favor. So they're still trying to climb some ladder to get back to God. We're still trying to climb some ladder, either one God or multiple gods. And it leads to a place of pride if you're really good at it. And eventually it always leads here, guys. Leads to a place of despair, right? It leads to a place of disappointment, leads to this place of exposure, canceling, whatever that is, or the mob actually finds out about you and doxes you or whatever those things are. Eventually it leads to this place of just real despair. I mean, you don't have to look far for people in even Christianity or Judaism or Islam to just show kind of the hypocrisy in this. Like, I remember when Osama bin Laden, this devout Muslim, murdered lots of people. They get his computers, and it's just reveals like this dirty filth in there. Like you just don't have to go far. You just find those things. So first is pride. Then eventually it's just despair. And then finally you go, Oh, I don't I don't have it anymore. I'm not going to church. I'm not saying that. I'm not reading that. I'm not doing that. Just places you don't care anymore. Mm. So either you really don't care or you don't care because you don't think God really cares and so therefore you just pretend because you're just trying to appease the people around you. So religion is man's attempt to get to God. So you eat the things, do the things and it frankly is exhausting and I would just argue. I don't know what the shepherd's worldviews were but I can guarantee it they were at a place of indifference. Yeah. Going, okay, I can't go to the synagogue. I can't make sacrifices. I'm stuck with these sheep. Yeah. Right? And uh, sorry, but I got fast going on uh, Sunday morning <laughs> and I was talking about like, you can't take the sheep to the synagogue. You're in like the third pew and someone behind you goes, shut the sheep up. And I was like, whoa, that kind of sounds a lot more you know, profane than it actually is. And I was like, yeah. oh, and I like, walk that one back. Whoa, no. Yeah, anyway. So there's just this yeah. place of, look, every other worldview out there is dealing with how do I make God happy with me or how do I become my own God? Right. Right. How do I make God happy with me or how do I earn my own favor and grace? And that is what yeah. is so distinctly different. Track them down. Send me the emails. I mean, I've done all the work I can here. This is why I believe in Christianity. Now there's fruit and evidence of it. It's because every other worldview requires something of me that I'm incapable right. of, which is so funny because the good news is that you are really broken. You know, it's so weird. Like, God is literally showing up with his angels and go, hey, shepherds, you're right. You are trash. You can't <laughs> fix you. You are worse than you even can give yourself credit for. You're you yeah. are you're, you're terrible to the point that God had to actually do all the work for you because you were that incompetent. And at first glance, you go, oh, that's so terrible. But then it's like, yeah, it's really offensive. And yet, it's so relieving because right. now all the pressure is taken off us because this is the only worldview where we don't have to get back to God. 
God gets back to us, right? So he steps down and does the perfect thing. He literally steps out of heaven and creates a way, a path by which we get back to him. And he says it's all through him. So there is no other suffering savior worldview where God does all the work is actually brutally beaten for what we deserve to be brutally beaten for. And then comes like the life to prove that he's God. And so that's why I think we can actually think and stop and pause and fear not and behold, because when you actually consider this and stand it up against every other worldview out there, this is the only one that actually makes sense in terms of the human condition. Yeah. One of the things that you said, uh, if you said this online, I I Mm. missed it. Um, but uh, you said this, at least the driving, the difference yeah. between amputated, like amputated, yeah, yeah. amputated. Do you want to yeah. talk through that? So, yeah. So um, there's this thing called imputation. And to be honest with you, I keep meaning to look it up. I don't know if it's, I think it's imputed. I did say imputated once. I think it's imputed versus amputated. And they're not like, they're not anagrams. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so there is probably, uh, I mean, it's not that perfect thing. But what we understand in terms of amputation is you cut off what, Right. Uh, like the whole reason for amputation on a body is because something is dead right. and it's poisonous and it's just going to ruin the rest of the body. Right. Right. Gangrene, uh, 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 frostbite, cancer, whatever those things are. Literally, every day people are having cancer removed from their body. Why? Because we know that if it stays there, it'll it'll poison the whole thing. Right. So, with that kind of understanding, if you could look at the God of the universe who creates all this stuff in the beginning, and He is perfect and holy, and nothing flawed can touch Him. Nothing flawed can. It just can't. He's that perfect. He's that righteous and that holy. In the beginning, his plan was us and him forever. And literally said he walked in the garden in the cool of the night with Adam and Eve. Meaning there was some deep connection. No, he's perfect and holy. And all of a sudden, part of his his family, his body, right, all of a sudden becomes disease-ridden. That's what sin does. It runs amok in our life, right? And it's this disease-ridden. God's plan and solution for his holiness is to to separate that's literally what the word holy means to be separate from that which is not holy in other words so when when the enemy says you surely will not die greatest lie in the history of the world you go but they didn't actually die well no they did they literally got disconnected from life their spirit got cut away from god like that and at that point they were set up on a trajectory for all eternity away from God because he is perfect. In other words, literally, we get cut off from him and you feel it and I feel it. So this isn't this isn't even like just this, oh yeah, that's a cute story. No, you feel that. Like think about it. You are sending me emails going, how do I get closer to God? He feels so far away. Yes, he does because we are literally disconnected from him and we keep thinking if we do more things, we can reconnect with him. But the very things that we do to say that we'll reconnect to him actually just distance us more because we believe that somehow we can earn his favor, right? And so literally we are cut off from the body, just cut off. Right? And so you go, well, well, that's a really sad story. Are you saying there's no way to get to God on your own? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. There's no way. Like, you can't sew it back up to God. You can't even get access to God, right? You just can't do those things. And that's why we tremble and feel this this connection because God is holy and perfect and we can't get close to Him. And if that were the end of the story, it'd be really messy. But you read in Romans where Paul, who's brilliant, but still, you know, talks like I talk, like lots of words, very few commas, run on sentences. You know, he dictates this through, we believe, a secretary. So he's walking through all this in Romans 5, 6, and 7. He's just talking about just as one person got us into this, right? 
Adam, meaning he got us cut off. Yeah. One other person, if one person can get us cut off, is it possible that another person can get us reconnected? And you go, well, no, not really, because no person's good enough. That's right. So Adam cut us off. But it, he's the firstborn of, of humans, right? But what if the firstborn of God, he decided to get us back into it? Just as one person got us, got us into this, one other person, who's not just another person, but the God of the universe, can get us out of that. How does he get us out of it? By getting us into him, right? right. And so what happens here is this, this term called imputation, where we are invited by God back into his body. Yeah. So this is where I think theology matters so much and what we do with communion, and we got to do it this week, is we have to understand that we are grafted yeah. perfectly and wholly back to God. Like he's just brought, like we're brought back to him. But the only way is by Jesus, which is good news of great joy if you've already come to a place of despair and indifference because you know you can't get yourself back to God. And it is filled with joy when we understand that God does all the work but makes it all available to us. So then he says it's for all people. He's going to the ones who definitely were, were segregated. They were definitely amputated to the point where they were homeless and couldn't even go to the church. If you want to see a people group in the first century who at some point in their history had this great, mighty like job description and were considered you know, yeah. great leaders, and then you see kind of the story of right. a thousand years later. They are the worst of the worst. They have been amputated, not only from God, but from all society. And so he shows up and goes, you get to get back. Yeah, you get right. to be grafted back into the body. You get to be grafted back to God. And the one who does all the work is Jesus. So amputation, yeah. you're cut off. Imputation is you're grafted back in, yeah. which is why we eat and drink Jesus' body, right? So it's his body that brings us back to them, right? This is his mm. work that does it. And so that's what's so unique here. And it sounds crazy at first, but when you look at everything else, you go, well, that's the only thing that could possibly make sense. Because everything else is dependent on me doing something that I have already come to the conclusion I'm not capable of doing. Yeah. So that's the good news in a nutshell yeah. is, you know, when Paul says, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not offended or, uh, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. That word can be translated offended, mm. right? And I think that's really important because what he's really saying is, I've, I've investigated all this, and I no longer find it offensive that he's told me I am such a dirty, broken mm. person because I've come to the same conclusion. Mm. And then he talks about how he had all the world, and he considers us all rubbish, yeah. you know, bull excrements, right? He considers all that because all of that stuff never got him back to God. It led him to a place of pride despair and then indifference. So he goes, I'm not offended by this anymore because I found it to be true and I found it to be lovely and good that I can be grafted back in. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. deep theologically in the middle of this little yeah, There's a lot, yeah. lot going on that's kind of packed into that. And that's why we yeah. spent a good amount of time in verse 10, right? Yeah. That's why we, we were doing that. I do want to ask, because you had said this and just looking at the time, we've yeah. got about 10 more minutes yeah, or so. Um <clears throat> I do want to ask, in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You said very few times or no never, other time never. is they it mentioned it. the three of those, um, and that Savior, Christ, who is the Lord. Yeah. What I guess, what is the significance of, can you help us understand the significance of it here in verse 11? Yeah, thanks and, for bringing it back And up. maybe as to why we don't see that Yeah, more so often. some of you, and I, you know, hey, how do I get close to God? How do, how do I feel God's presence? Those are fair questions. And part of the questions are, there's not really anything you can do. There's something you can receive, mm. right? So it's kind of like, how do I enjoy the gift? Well, the first thing you have to do is actually acknowledge that as a gift and mm. then open it. You can't throw 20 bucks at it. Like, so 
Uh, for many of us, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this from people. Gosh, uh, God just seems distant. I don't know to be close. But here's how you get close. Like it's, it's you receive these things. You go, what is it that I'm receiving? What's the gift? And I'm like, Luke is so gracious here. And he kind of, he distills thousands of years in the prophecy into kind of three pieces. Yeah. Uh, here's the three. So if, here's the Trinity about the second person, the Trinity, right? Here's the three parts of Jesus in this. And so he's going to distill from Genesis 3 all the way through Malachi all these different parts of who Jesus is. And so when he says, born to us this day in the city of David, he is reminding these shepherds that this was always the plan. Right? So this yeah. is God's providence and work. He was born from, you see that, from a man. He's from the city of David. He's born from a man. He was fully God, fully man at the same time. And he's going to go, let me explain to you all these things. And so when you go, well, how do I experience God? How do I receive this? How do I get grafted back in? You can't uh, pick and choose these three things. Yeah. Right? He's either... All right, you hear he's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord of any, or whatever, like, uh, not Lord at all, right? So, there's that piece, and so, yeah, you know, there's three different pieces that you have to go, These are my pillars, this holds up my house, this is what it is, these are, these are the, this is how I live, this is what it wraps around. So, the first one he says is, He is Savior, meaning that He delivers us. This is so important. This is when he gets the name Yeshua, it, it's, or Jesus, it's reminding us that he is the only one who can deliver us. And you know this. Think about it. Think about it. You think that there must be a world greater than this one. There's got to be more than this. Your heart longs for something. The reason you cry, that's why in so many ways I love doing a funeral because it just points out this pain of going, yes, those tears. Every time a, tid, a tear sheds down my face, every time that happens, what I'm realizing is this is... This is not the way it's supposed to be. And when you get there, you go, well, what's it supposed to be like? Where am I supposed to go and how do I get there? And that's what he's saying here. Is he's the deliverer. He is your guide and he will walk with you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the guide and the destination. So when, when this um, angel is making this announcement, he's going, this is the only way that you've ever been able, you'll ever get, be able to get back to God. He will lead you. Shepherds would have understood that because they go, okay, here's what the, the sheep eats today. All the food's gone. Let's go to a green pasture and right. some water. He leads us by still water, right? Psalm 23 that your kids covered this past week in Kids Home. Right? And so you have all those things. The first thing you see there is Savior. But it's not just Savior. It says who is Christ. That means in Genesis 3 when the promise was made, it was always him. Hmm. Meaning, guys, you got to see this. This is always the plan. Every time there's a mess up, when Moses went up to the mountain and, uh, you know, the Israelites are drinking gold schlager down or whatever it is they were doing down low, worshiping golden calves, he was still the Christ in the plan. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, he was the Christ. This was the only plan, guys. This is the only plan there's ever been. So what he's saying here is this is the Savior. He's the one who rescues you, and this has always been the plan. You can stop fighting it. Because this is the only plan. You can stop searching for other plans because this is the only plan. You can read it throughout the scriptures. You can look up into the universe and go, if there's a way to get back there, I know it. I am incapable of that. This is always the plan. So he's the Savior, the Christ, and this is the peace that I think many of us miss. And he's the Lord. Mm. Over all religions, all nations, all genders, all people, right? So this is so important for us to get. That, that word Lord literally means he's the boss. Uh, properly, it literally means... Um, uh, that he's the person exercising absolute authority. Mm. That's literally what I meant. So when Caesar is Lord, he's the one with absolute authority. And so this is probably the biggest hang up for you is you have to go, it's not up to me because I'm not the boss. It's not up to me. So there is this real surrender. You want to be close to Jesus, giving rights and privileges to every party. Mm. That means your internet. Mm. That means your pocketbook. That means your marriage. Mm. That means your parenting. 
And so if you really want to experience him and all those things, there is this mission there to go. I can't open the gift until I acknowledge what the gift is. And the gift is, it's no longer up to me because he literally is Lord. And if I were to highlight one of those three, we're good with Savior. Boy, do we want to be rescued. We're good with Christ. It makes sense that God has always had a plan and he left us in on it. The Lord wants the hard one. And so when he is sharing this, he's going, this is the Lord. You can go test me on this. So this is the promise fulfillment. They go and see it. They go, there's the baby. That's the Lord. Yeah. And in that moment, everything changes for them and they break out in song because <laughs> they have actually seen the one who has the proper rights to do this for him. So really important that you see this package of he is all three and he's always all three. Yeah. So that means in the future, God's still the plan. Jesus is still the way. Yeah. He's still the one who can get us out of this mess. And he wants us to trust him with our entire lives. Oh, that's good. Um, so we've got a couple minutes left. Was there anything that you left off the cutting room floor, anything that you wanted to dive a little bit deeper in, um, just as we kind of come to a conclusion here shortly? Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he still hasn't talked. Yeah. There's 568 verses of Jesus talking, and he still hasn't talked yet. Yeah. So, guys, like, we are just now, like, building the foundation and go, okay, let's see him. So this yeah. upcoming week, we'll start seeing that kind of flesh out. And the next two weeks, we'll see everything about Jesus from this eight days old to about 30 years old, just in a few verses. Lots, yeah. lots to learn there. But so, get understand, Luke is setting up this entire foundation for us to be able to stand on and go, Jesus is Christ, Savior, and Lord. And I think this is probably really important because his words don't really matter if you don't believe them. Mm. They just don't matter. Like, yeah. Unless you get to the point that you go, I believe all this to be true, then all this is for naught. Right? You can keep reading it and trying to be a red-letter Christian and obey those things if you think somehow by obeying them, God likes you more. Hmm. But until you understand that he is the Savior, meaning there is nothing you can rescue on yourself, that he is the Christ, meaning this is the only planet God's ever had, and that he's the Lord, that he literally is in charge of all things. As you read through the rest of these scriptures, it, it, it's a waste. Yeah. So I love that Luke is doing this kind of foundation because what he's helping us gather is all this is a waste of your time and energy if you don't believe it to be true. So why would Luke share with us Jesus' words if we're not actually going to listen to him or listen to him for the wrong reasons? So where we get to go now is go, okay, God, can I receive this gift? Can I acknowledge that you have always been the plan? You are the Christ. Can I acknowledge that you are the only way I get back to you? You are the Savior. And can I go ahead and give you permission to be Lord of every part of my life? His words are pointless if that's not the case. And let me give you one kind of real quick rubric litmus to know whether or not you're doing that. Here's what I'd say. Survey the areas of your life that feel the most chaotic and create the most anxiety. Think about it. Right. We got a minute. I'll let you think about it now. The areas of your life are, that feel the most chaotic right now and where you have the most anxiety. Is it your marriage? Your parenting? Your job? Your money? Your calendar? I would say whatever that area is, there is a really good chance, 90% chance, that that is an area that you struggle to allow Lord, uh, Jesus to be Lord of. So some real good practice before you actually hear his words is take those chaotic areas and give them to him. And so take it, like look at your bank account and then tell yourself, look in the mirror and go, it's not up to me. Hmm. It's not up to me. I can just trust him with this. I can trust him because it's all his anyway. Look at your kids, hmm. feel the chaos of this school and go, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. God is with them and he is, he will see them through this year, right? Look at your spouse, right? And you think about it. It's not up to you. You can't fix your marriage, but the two of you can surrender your marriage and go, we want the Lord to be Lord of this, right? And so there's something in this go. He hasn't spoken yet because people would not have listened yet. Theophilus, I don't think, was ready to listen yet. So hopefully you are because he'll start showing up 
and he'll give us a little bit more foundation to build and then we'll start hearing his words and they'll be beautiful. So could this week, could we wonder the areas that are filled with anxiety and chaos and could we invite Jesus to be the savior of those areas, the Christ, the only plan for him and the Lord. I think that would be helpful as we move forward. That's good. Well, that is pretty much all the time that we have. I want to say thank you guys for joining us again, whether you're watching this or listening to this live or you're checking it out via your favorite podcast location. Thanks for so much for joining. Really do hope that this helps challenge and grow you in your faith. Um, as always, if you ever have any questions about this past week's message, upcoming messages, or just questions in general, we want to encourage you that you can email us and we'll make that part of our cadence. You can email us at overtime at clcfamily.church or you can also text us. The number is 610-869-2140. You can just text your question to that. Um, and that's another way that we can get access to your questions. But we'd love to have you be part of the discussion and help us kind of as we navigate yeah. through this. So thanks so much for joining us. As always, if we can do anything, please let us know. And uh, we hope to maybe see you in the, over the weekend yeah. at our in-person live service. Love you guys. Take care. Have a great week. Be safe.